Well, good morning, everybody. Congratulations, you made it on Time Change Sunday. I know it's amazing. Like, congr- I mean, you guys are like the SEAL team of church members. You guys are it. So thank you for being the first responders here. Uh, we're glad to have you. How many you, like, took you about five, six years with your phone to trust that it's going to change times, right? Yeah, me too. Like, you're setting multiple alarms. Um, so we're glad that you're here. Listen, what a great update. We gave, uh, uh, we took a special offering for the, the, hur- the hurricane that happened in the Bahamas uh, several months ago. And it was a great, a great, uh, the great report of what God's already doing through Pacific Hope. We have a team right now in the Bahamas serving those that are still devastated by the storms. We have a team right now in Monterey, Mexico, sharing the gospel actively with people all around Monterey, Mexico. Two short-term teams, so I encourage you to keep them in, in, in prayer. And we also, if you've noticed, there's a, um, there has been a tornadoes that came through Nashville. One of our, that's where our headquarters for Every Nation is, is in uh, Brentwood, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville. We have a church there that's serving that community that's been devastated right now, and they're working hand in glove with Samaritan's Purse. So I'd encourage you, if you get engaged in anything, uh, if you want to give anything through towards that relief, you can do so through the church. But also, uh, Samaritan's Purse is doing amazing work. Uh, and th- isn't, isn't God's kingdom amazing that he can be doing all these things, responding? People uh, that are a part of God's kingdom, the church, are doing amazing things all over the world, and we get to be a part of it. Can we give God a hand for that? Uh, we're so grateful. So thanks for doing that. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to share a message that's on my heart today. I want to warn you, if you have young kids with you, uh, this will be a little PG-13. I'm not going to go into great details, but if they're little guys and you're sensitive about some of that, you'll know. Uh, You may just be aware. Uh, This is a message entitled, um, Your Body is Spiritual. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6, starting verse 12, welcome to everybody that's online, joining us uh, online, as well as our Neely campus. Glad you guys are with us today. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and also will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Father, would you help us today as we study your word? We invite your Holy Spirit to lead us and teach us. And my prayer today is very simple. It's that the words of man would fall away, but your word would stand in our hearts forever. In the name of Jesus, everybody said? Amen. 
You know, I like what theologian N.T. Wright says about this passage. Here's what he says. This whole passage is about learning to use the human body for the right purpose in the right way. Simply put, this whole passage that we just read is, is, is learning to use the human body for the right purpose in the right way. It was a couple years ago, there was a hose that I had in the backyard. And this hose, I could not get off the spigot. You know what I'm talking about? Because we live in a place where there is so much calcium, literally, like you try to milk the calcium for water when you turn on the water, right? Like, like there's so much, cal- it, was, it had become so calcified, I couldn't get the hose off of the spigot. And so I'm going, okay, what do I do? Um, and uh, sadly, Kayla didn't marry the chip gains of husbands. Um, she, she married someone very different. Uh, I'm not very handy. I know I look handy, but I'm not handy. And uh, so I've, I've ha- I have a wrench, and I, I didn't know before this much of the differences between them, right? There's like a crescent wrench, right? And that does certain things. And then there's like, like, there's like a pipe wrench, and that does other things. But in my mind, a wrench is a wrench, right? So I, I, I get a crescent, and I, it doesn't quite work just right to try to get it off, and I can't get it off, and I keep trying, and it's bending it a little bit. I was like, I need something better. So I go, and I find this pipe wrench that I think was handed down by my great-great-grandfather. Uh, it, it, I mean, I, this thing is old and rusty. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I, I don't know where it came from, but I grab it, and I was like, okay, maybe this will work. And I, I go grab it, and I tighten it, and it's just tightening that pipe further and further, and the bolts around it, and I'm just going and it's not working but I'm getting angry come on anybody you know what I'm talking about. I'm getting just a little a little angry and frustrated and I'm like I don't know I don't got any other wrenches in my box so this is just gonna have to work and so man I just needs more power so I just uh, 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 the wrench didn't work how many of you know there are tools that are amazing for the right situation, right? But you can use a good tool in the wrong situation and it can create a bigger mess than you had before. Come on, somebody. Isn't that true? And this is what N.T. Wright is mentioning when he's talking about 1 Corinthians 6, that you can have something that's really good but used in the wrong way produces something really bad. You can have something really amazing, but if this tool is misused, if it's, if it's not used correctly, if you don't know which tool goes where and how to, how to use it, it can actually make things worse. See, this is important because our bodies are used for all kinds of purposes in today's culture. The, our bodies, our physical bodies that we're talking about, we're, we use our bodies for all kinds of purposes. And here's the question I want to answer today is, what is God's intent for our bodies? What is God's intent for this physical flesh in which we live in? <laughs> what role does it play in our spiritual connection to God, if any? Uh, early on in the church, there was some division about this. And this actually goes back to the very first century where there was this division between the spirit and the body. And the idea was, very simply uh, and over simply put, 
that the spirit, things of the spirit were good and things of the body or physical were, were bad. It was Gnosticism and uh, it actually kind of turned into a, a heresy. And the heresy was that Jesus didn't really physically exist because all physical matter, all flesh is really sinful and wrong. So because of that, Jesus didn't really physically exist. He just was like kind of like a hologram. He just seemed to exist. Does this make sense? Like Jesus spiritually existed and came. So God came through Jesus spiritually, but he didn't really physically. He wasn't really born, which means he didn't physically really die. He didn't really physically rise from the dead. So there was this And it was a heresy. This was uh, at its height in the first century, the division between body and spirit. But here's the thing. This philosophy is present today, and we may not even realize it. We separate this all the time, body and spirit. The secular secular and the sacred. We separate uh, Sundays and Mondays. Isn't that true sometimes? Revel on Friday night, repent on Sunday morning, Right? This is how it, it's kind of the idea of what does it really matter what I do with my body? Does it matter what I put in my body? Does it matter what comes out of my body? Does it matter what my body engages in? And does that have anything to do with my spirit? And and are they connected in any way? So with that in mind, I want to go through this passage we just read verse by verse. We're going to study the Bible today. You guys okay with this? We're going to look at this scripture verse by verse, to answer some of these questions, because I think in this we kind of find a, a poor, the, the theology, if you will, of the body. And it has to do not just with sex or sexuality, although it touches on those things, it has to do with actually something bigger. So I, I want to talk, uh, talk into that. But before we do, let me give you some context. Paul here is writing to the church at Corinth. So these are Christians uh, at a place called Corinth, which is a Greek city. So there are Jews that are there for sure, uh, but it's predominantly Greek, and it's a Greek culture. Uh, there in this Greek culture, uh, there's a group of people that have began to follow Jesus, and that's exactly who Paul's writing to. These people that are living in a Greek culture, and they're trying to follow Jesus and, and, and follow his teachings. And disagreements among them began to rise. You can see through reading the rest of the the first part of the book, uh, they were arguing with one another. They had some issues with one another. There was lawsuits that they they, they couldn't figure out and they were trying to come to agreement on. And um, uh, there was a reminder by Paul that the unrighteous don't inherit the kingdom of God. And he talks, who who was the unrighteous? He has a list and it's not exclusive. This is just an example. It could go on and on. He lists those that are greedy and the drunkards and the sexually immoral and the idolaters and the adulterers, which Jesus defines as anyone who even thinks about another woman, which is interesting. Men who practice homosexuality, swindlers, thieves. These are the long list of, 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 of people that aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, when we look at the kingdom of God, we kind of sometimes just automatically think that means heaven, but we're, but get, the kingdom of God is much bigger than heaven because the kingdom of God, Jesus said, can come here to earth right now. Does that make sense? So you don't have to wait to go to heaven for Jesus to come back and rip you out of here to go to heaven to ex- begin to experience the kingdom that he wants to initiate. He's actually, he's actually doing kingdom work right here. And you and I get to touch and be a part and, and participate in his kingdom work right here. 
So this isn't escapism, like just get to heaven. This is the idea here that we are in fact, um, we are in fact get to engage in this. And, and if you live in this way, if this is who you are, then man, you're not going to get to be part of the kingdom of God as he wants you to be a part of it. You get the point here. This is what he says. And, and he says, These, this is all the list of those that are unrighteous, right? But then he says this, and this amazing thing. He says, and such were some of you. Oh, hold on. And such were some of you. Greedy, swindlers, idolaters, adulterers, immoral. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified by our Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit. Isn't that good news that who we were isn't who we are? Oh, hold on a second, because I thought I was talking to the SEAL team of church. (laughs) Let's try that again. How many of you are glad that you are not who you used to be? Isn't that good news? That is good news. And this is where sometimes the world gets, oh, Christians think they're all perfect. No, 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 we know we're not perfect. We just know who we were and who God's made us to be now. We know there's a difference. And this is exactly what Paul's reminding them of. Remember who you were. You were justified in the name of the Lord, King Jesus, by his Holy Spirit. That sets us up to dive into verse 12. Now let's look at these. We're going to just look at these verse by verse. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Here we see in this, in this, this verse that... Uh, Paul is using common phrases that they were probably throwing around there at Corinth. You know, common cultural phrases. All things are lawful for me. You see the quotations around it? All things are lawful for me. And he responds to these ideas like, hey, all things, I can, there's no rules against this. I can kind of do what I want to do. I, I, I mean, there's not, I don't live by the law anymore. I live by grace. All things are lawful for me. But, but, but Paul pushes back a little bit. He says, yeah, maybe so, but not all things are helpful. How many of you know that's right? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Okay, so all things, but, but, but he says, but not all things are helpful. helpful. Then he says it again, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now this is important because he just listed a whole bunch of things that used to dominate them. Greed used to dominate them. Idolatry used to dominate them. Immorality used to dominate them. He said, but no longer. You've been washed. You've been justified. And he says, no, you're no longer dominated by those things that used to dominate you. And this is important because the only thing that's supposed to rule us and dominate us is the Holy Spirit of God given to us by Jesus Christ. Here's what he's talking about here. You have a new administration in charge of your life. And it's King Jesus. Whenever you see the word Lord, which we're going to see it a lot in this passage, it's, I want you to think King. Because Lord, we kind of put into this, like, you know, Sunday school experience back in the day. Lord is some religious word. But King is not as much. This is what it means. It means King. That he's in charge of your life now. And he's the only one that's to dominate. Which means he's in charge. He's in charge of your body, he's in charge of your mind, he's in charge of your financial decisions, he's in charge of of your big decisions in your life and the small decisions. Jesus is in charge. 
He's not looking at you going, hey, you just run with this and let's hook up here in about 70 years when I bring you up to me. That makes sense? He's saying, I'm in charge now. I'm not gonna be in charge when you're in heaven. I'm in charge now and the king. See, I don't want anything to dominate me, Paul says, except one, Jesus is gonna dominate. Jesus is gonna be king. He's gonna be Lord and nothing else. Alcohol doesn't dominate me anymore. Sex doesn't dominate me anymore in my desires and temptation. My, my old desires, my old things, those things, people's opinion of me, it doesn't dominate me anymore. The only thing is Jesus Christ. This makes sense. All things are lawful. Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. This is another cultural quote. This is what would be thrown around. This is an example. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. He responds, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. This is another common saying in the Greek culture. Just like stomach is for food and food is for stomach, isn't the body for sexual pleasure? And isn't sexual pleasure for the body? So shouldn't these things come together? So, man, why not just do what I want? And this is important for us to get because, listen, in the Corinthian culture and environment, it was a sexualized environment. Uh, there was a, a cult practice of prostitution. It was a way of worship. And there would be priestesses that would work there and priests that would work there that would engage in prostitution of various kinds in the city. Now, normal, even God-fearing Jews who weren't even following Jesus, most of them would abstain from that as the law would stipulate. But how many of you know some got drawn into that culture? For sure. Not only that, there was beyond the cultic practices, there was just a culture of immorality there. There were women that were, and young boys that were bought into slavery, if you will, and utilized for that purpose. And this is the, the context in which they're living. And there's some within the body of Christ that are, that are engaging in this. There's some in the body of Christ that, that are making this excuse. Well, you know, the body, stomach is made for food. Food's made for the stomach. We're bought, God created us as sexual beings, so what's the big deal, right? This, this is the argument. And Paul reminds them, remember, God is the God of the stomach and the food. And he can, he's in charge of it all. And he can do away with it in a moment if he wants to. And then he says, but listen, the body wasn't meant for sexual immorality. That logic doesn't pass. He says the body wasn't meant for it. Matter of fact, here's, here's a big clue and this is kind of a big takeaway. The body is actually meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Whoa. So that means we can't classify any bodily, physical things as just evil and the spiritual things as good. There's kind of been an under-spiritualization of the body in a sense. That, hey, my body was created by God for God. It was created by God for Jesus, for the Lord. So my, my body's for Jesus, and Jesus for the body. This is the, the idea that Paul is giving them, and for his purposes. So what does this mean? Verse 14. He says, and God raised the Lord, speaking of Jesus, and will also raise up by us up by his power. So the, the, the appeal here isn't, the reason we know that the Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord is because Jesus rose from the dead physically. 
Think about this for a moment. Here's the reason he gives. The reason we know our bodies is for him and him for our bodies is that he physically rose from the dead. And he also promises that there's gonna be a day when he comes to call us home and he's physically gonna rise us up from the dead too. It's called the resurrection. Now, this is the, the justification behind this and it's important because he not only appeals to the resurrection, physical resurrection of Jesus, but the physical resurrection of Christians as well. It's found in John 6, 40, where he says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, I want to pause here to consider, here, here Paul's giving them, the reason you shouldn't engage in sexual immorality, the reason the body is spiritual, is because, listen, is, is because it's for the Lord, and the Lord for it. And then we go, okay, can we think of any other places in Scripture where the physical body is the Lord's? And, and, and so let me just propose to you that many of the major doctrines we as Christians espouse, mo- most of the major stuff we believe has to do with the body. Creation. God in Genesis 1 and 2 created mankind from the dust of the ground and breathed life into him, and he created us. Isn't that wonderful? In his likeness, in his image, he created us. And then we see the very first sin, the fall of creation happens in a physical way where Eve and Adam are there at the tree and they take from the forbidden tree and the thing that God told them not to do, they physically, they physically take of the fruit and they eat of the fruit and they digest the fruit. And because of that disobedience to God and sin, it separates them from God. And when God shows up, one of the things they do, they feel shame in their body and they cover themselves with fig leaves. As we're going to talk about here in a few weeks, when we get to Easter, we see God covers them with skin, their bodies with skin of an animal. That's physical. The promise to Abraham, where the covenant comes from, is a physical promise. It's an actual physical son named Isaac. We see the incarnation, the entrance of God into the world is Jesus. He didn't just come as some hologram, but he came through Mary, birthed in a stable in Bethlehem. He lived a physical life. He ate and drank and walked with the disciples. He was tired, just like you and I. And then at the end of a life that he lived sinless, he died on a cross, a painful death. And then three days later, he came out of that grave physically alive, appearing to everyone who would see him. They touched him. They felt the nails in his hands and the, the, the wound in his side. They saw him over 500 and reported this to others. He sat with them and he ate with them. We know that there's this promise, not just of Jesus being resurrected from the grave, but but that our bodies will be raised one day as well. And it makes me just think, maybe I've gotten it wrong. Maybe the body isn't so bad. Maybe the body is spiritual. Maybe the body is something that means something to God. So we begin to look all throughout the history of Christianity. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Think about that question for a moment. He's equating their immorality and the things that they're doing 
as if Jesus Christ himself, their king and the Lord, the one that martyrs have died for and that they're living for, would be joined to a prostitute? And he answers his question, never. And he gives us the idea that the us engaging our bodies in that same way is just the same as if we're uniting Christ into that immorality as well. Verse 16 and 17, he explains it. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? This is a quote from Genesis chapter 2, where the, uh, chapter 1 and 2, where the two become one flesh. And it's the idea of marriage. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. This reference, how how God invented and designed sex. Now, here's what you need to know about this. This is not just about sex. This is talking about sex and immorality, but it's, I think, actually bigger. And our focus today is bigger than that. But I want to pause here for a moment. And I want to just point out something that the Jewish understanding of covenant was sex is what sealed the covenant in marriage and it also is what broke the covenant you get the picture so you when you entered into marriage you would you didn't have sex before you got married you didn't just you know it's not like a a used car that you take out test drive let me check this out make sure everything's good kick the tires no 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 in the jewish culture You made a covenant, and once the covenant was made, it was sealed through the sexual act. In in the opposite, if that was broken, then the covenant was broken. Does this make sense? This was the Jewish understanding of what it was, of that, in in that culture. And why this is important is because here in this passage, we see that the reference is that, that, that there is there is a spiritual connection that comes with intimacy. And lest we think, man, you, this is a bad thing. No, 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 let me, let me discourage you. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. God designed sex. Sex is a wonderful thing God created. But here's what we need to know. The enemy has never created anything. Look at your, look at your neighbor and say, the enemy's a liar. The enemy is liar. So here's what, here's what we've allowed him to do. We've allowed him to take sex. Sexualize everything. Everything is sexualized online. Pornography, addiction. I mean, there's everything, right? It's all sexualized. So then the result of that is sex must be bad. But let me tell you, sex isn't bad because God created it. Sex is wonderful. It's a beautiful. It's a sign of the covenant. It's a seal of the covenant. And there's a spiritual act. When two come together in covenant, a man and a woman, two genders that were created in creation, man and woman coming together under the unity of marriage, there is something beautiful that occurs. There's a spiritual connection. It isn't just two bodies doing their thing. And God created it. And God cares about it. And this is why God will correct it, because God corrects the things he cares about. Does this make sense? He corrects things he cares about. And it's not just because he's up there, this like prudish God in heaven going, oh, I just don't want them to have too much fun. No, 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 no. He created it, and he knows it's amazing when it's used in the right way for the right purpose. Does this make sense? Verse 18. So flee. Everyone say flee. From sexual immorality. Some of you might want to flee right now. 
from the church service. Like, get me out of here. This is so many talk. What's he say? This is uncomfortable. All right, here we go. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexually immoral person sins against his own body. See, flee, don't linger. For those that had a Jewish understanding that were sitting listening to Paul as they read that this was read to them, they would have immediately, the idea of fleeing sexual immorality would have brought a story to mind. Anybody know a story it would have brought to mind? Joseph. Joseph, right? Joseph was, was accused and tempted in Potiphar's house and he had sexual temptation right there, like right big on his computer screen. He had sexual temptation there, like an like a empty office or a hotel room or whatever it is. Like he had temptation right in front of him. And it says he ran and fled from her so fast that he left his coat behind. And if you had a Jewish understanding, had been reading the Torah, you would have understood that when, when Paul's saying flee, this is the image he knew most would have. Flee, run away, get away from temptation, run the opposite direction from pornography, from affairs, from sex outside of marriage, from, from outside of the covenant. Run away from that. Don't get stuck in a business meeting held in questionable places. Restrict your own access if that's an issue for you. Remove yourself from temptation. Because he knows this is not just a sin against other people's body, but it's a sin against your own body. And here's what we know about sin. Sin brings death. And not in some just spiritual way, but it practically brings death through physical diseases and other things. It, it brings death to intimacy. It brings death to marriage. It brings death to families. How many of you know sexual acts that were engaged in or physical acts, uh, physical acts even of abuse and other things that have ruined marriages, that have brought death to families, that have brought death to neighborhoods and communities and societies, right? This is, this is a reality. This is true. And this is what Paul is getting to. Listen, flee, this is going to be, listen, when you engage in this, what you don't realize is you're not just sinning against everyone else. It affects you too. It's going to bring death to you. It's going to bring death to your family. It's going to bring death to your marriage. It's going to bring death to you. And this is why Paul loves people enough to say this needs to be dealt with and repented of. Verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own. Now this is hard for a West Texan to hear. Man, I'm talking to you for a moment. You are not your own. We pride ourselves on being our own. We're gonna start things on our own. We're gonna do things on our own. We're our own. We're, we're, gonna do this. we're on our own. Not your own. For you were bought with a price. The picture here is redemption. The, the image could very well give them, those in the Greek culture that are there, the idea that there was prostitutes that were given back and forth and bought with a price. And now they had a new owner. 
See, we read this and we think redemption, which is true. Jesus bought you with a price, and the price was very, very significant. It was the price of his own blood that he purchased you. He redeemed you. He brought you back. Isn't that good news? But this would have even had another meaning to those in the Greek culture, this idea of this, they're around this prostitution culture that they're around. He's bought you with a price, and just like they are not their own, you're not your own either. You were bought with a price. And then he concludes, so glorify God in your body. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Your, your body is a place where God dwells. This is where it comes to. It's not just about sexual immorality or other sins and those kind of things. It's about your body. It's about the idea that your body wasn't designed for all that. Your body's purpose was designed to give glory to God. Your body's purpose was designed to provide a place where God's presence could come and God's presence could dwell. And when you walked into a room, man, people knew that God was there. God, you walk into a business meeting, God's presence is there. He's there living and active inside of you. And he wants to use you for your community and your friends. He wants to use you in your family. And he wants to use you. God has so much bigger plans than the temporary pleasures that the world has to offer. I think we miss some of this about the body, that we're to honor our God, God and our body because it becomes a lot of rules and the body is bad and it's like we're warring against the body. But the body was created by God for God. And it's his to redeem. And we don't own it any longer, so we can't do whatever we want anymore. We gotta do what he wants. God, what do you wanna do with my body? What do you wanna do? What do you wanna do? This is, this is what Paul is addressing. I think where some of the mistake has been made is we equate the body with the flesh. And the idea of sinful nature in scripture is real. But the sinful nature does not equal the body. Does this make sense? The sinful nature or the flesh or the world, if you will, is real and it exists, but it is not the same thing as our bodies. Our bodies were designed by God and for God. So honor God and give glory to God in your bodies. This is what Paul's telling them. It's not just about avoiding all the other stuff. It's about honoring God with your body. So how do we do that? Let me give you just, this is how, three quick steps as we close. First, acknowledge that your body's God's. You will always struggle if you think it's yours. I've got my, this is my body. I can do what I want with it. No, you can't. He's the king of your body. No, I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. Not if you called on him as Lord, unless you're the Lord of your own life. If you're the Lord of your own life, absolutely. You can do what you want. Go for it. But if you've called on King Jesus as the Lord of your life, your body is his. And if your body is his, it changes everything. So God, you have my body, you have my mind, you have my mouth, you have my hands, you have my mind, you have my brain, you got it all. All of this is yours. <laughs> all this, baby, is all you, all yours. That's what I tell Kayla every day, baby. All of this is all yours. All of it. Every square foot of it. It's all God's. Number two, number two, flee immorality. What do we do with this? Listen, you can't linger. And you gotta take this serious. It's an issue not just in our culture, it's in the body of Christ, you can't linger. You can't linger with pornography. You can't linger with thoughts of immorality. 
You can't linger in relationships where you're flirting with someone. You can't linger with those things. You can't linger in inappropriate relationships. You can't linger in those things. Not because God's all these, got all these rules. It's because God owns your body and he wants to do something in you and he's redeeming you and you don't have your own, it's not your choice anymore. It's his, so we flee, we run from it. So you say, well, I'm gonna stay because it's a nice person and yes, I'm attracted to them and they're attracted to me and yeah, we flirted and done some inappropriate things but I can, I'm gonna witness to them. No, you're not, you gotta go. Go. Well, what does that mean? It means get a different job, leave town, I don't care, go. That's extreme, yes. Because he really is king. Does this make sense? He's king. So you flee immorality. Thirdly, and finally, engage in physical acts that glorify God. Some of you are like, man, I don't really like worship. I don't care, God created you for it. There's something about you verbalizing, singing out to God, God, you're what I want. You're the way maker. You're the miracle worker. And when we say that physically, it does something to our spirit. It's like when we stand up and we lift our hands to God. It's one of the reasons, like some of you are like, why are you doing that? You've never been to a church that does that. Let me just tell you why we do it. Because there's something as we see people throughout scripture and David lifting his holy hands to God in worship saying, all I need is you and I want you and I'm giving you everything and I'm receiving everything you have for me. Does this make sense? There's something about that physical act. There's something about kneeling down in worship or kneeling down in prayer, humbling ourselves, saying, God, I'm smaller, I'm littler than you. I need you to come through for my family. I need you to come through for my community. I need you to come through. God, I, I'm just, I'm surrendering my life to you. There's something about the physical act of doing just that. There's something about prayer when we verbalize it that does something not just in us, but builds faith up in others. And that activates the heart of God in a new way. There's something about us physically reading the Bible and hearing God's word that renews our mind and prepares us for what he has for us. Does this make sense to anybody? There's something about it. And when we're engaged in physical acts that bring God glory, then we don't really have an appetite to engage in physical acts that don't bring him glory. And if it's all about not doing something, you'll fall every time. So that's why we have to do something. That's why we, you need to be in a men's group. It's why you need to be engaged in the church. It's why you need to engage in worship. It's why you should come 20 minutes early, just getting ready like a prize fighter, ready to worship. When's the music gonna go? Let's go, let's go. Why? Why? Because you're ready to engage God with all that you are. Not just here, but in your car and in your truck when you're driving around. You're saying, God, I wanna engage you. I wanna engage you. Why? Because you have my body and all that I am. And I'm ready for to give you glory in whatever way. And I'm, it's imperfect and we don't get it all figured out. And how many know we make mistakes and we mess up, but it's not about rules. It's about we've been bought with a price. We're not our own. So let's give God glory in our bodies. Amen? Father, help us understand this. Help us apply it. Father, thank you that you did. You bought us with a price. Wow. You, you redeemed us. And so when we worship, when we pray, when we work for your glory, 
As you told Adam and Eve to work the garden, even working can be for your benefit and glory. It's not for our own advancement, for our own recognition, but working for your glory. Father, even intimacy in marriage is for your glory, and it's beautiful when it's honored to you and given to you. So God, we come to you, and we just, we confess that there's times we've gotten this wrong and we need to repent. Like the Corinthians, maybe we've forgotten what you've redeemed us from, and we need to be reminded. So God, today we remind ourselves, we remind one another, and we thank your Holy Spirit for reminding us that we are yours. Father, develop within us the, the discipline and the self-control and the wisdom to flee from sexual immorality. Even as Proverbs 7 paints in such vivid pictures, so many have walked down that road of the adulterous woman of, of temptation, foolishness and it's just one step after the other but as the writer of Proverbs says little knowing it'll cost him his life let it be a warning to us for our life was meant for you and let our bodies bring you glory and our minds bring you glory and father let us be a people who remembers this in all that we do. In the name of Jesus, everybody said.